So, to rephrase this for our folks that were listening, we don't act right because we're excellent. We're excellent because we act right. We therefore are what we repeatedly do. Are you hearing me, church? We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is a habit. Are you in the habit of being excellent? I am so glad that God doesn't accept the limitations that I put on my life. I'm so thankful that God challenges me to be more than I ever thought I ever could be. I want you to know that he challenges you today to be more than you ever thought you could be. Today, I want to share with you the second installment of a message I shared with you a couple weeks ago entitled, The Cost of Biblical Excellence. And I'm going to be preaching from, or actually using this as a foundation, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 8, again, like I mentioned before, we find the Apostle Paul writing to one of the churches that he helped to establish. And he loved them to pieces. Can I say that I love you to pieces this morning? But Paul loved this church at Philippi. And in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He's saying, Church at Philippi, I sure do love y'all. Amen. He was using that, that Anderson lingo to the church at Philippi by saying, I love y'all so much. But he goes on to say, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things, here it comes, that are excellent. Approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. In that first message, we learn that religious or spiritual knowledge is useless unless it is rooted in a real and ongoing practice of surrender. Paul wrote to another church, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Biblical excellence is rooted in surrender. But we also learned that biblical excellence always, say always, it always results in obedience to God. Biblical excellence always results in obedience to God. Just because God's not seen does not mean that a life surrendered to him is not seen. Right? To make an impact to be an influence, to be biblically and spiritually excellent, to be these things to the praise and the glory of God. 
people must see that you and I walk like Jesus walked. Biblical excellence. Well, the question that should follow such a statement is this. Practically speaking, how do I walk like Jesus walked? Practically speaking, how do I become biblically excellent? How do I receive the prize of biblical excellence? Well, friend, you need to know at least two things. The first of which is this. Biblical excellence is molded by discipline. Biblical excellence is molded by discipline. As always, we find Jesus to be the perfect example of a man who walked with discipline. When the need of the hour was to pray, guess what Jesus did? What did he do? He prayed. When a decision called for fasting, Brother Mike, what do you think Jesus did? He fasted. When teaching was needed, do you know what Jesus did? He delivered a life-changing message. And when silence was fitting, Jesus had the wherewithal to speak not a word. Jesus was always able to look past the traditions of man. He was always able to look far beyond the lusts of the flesh in order to obey the word of God. And he did. Therefore, we too, as disciples, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we too must learn to discipline ourselves in every area. If we're going to do the Lord's work with excellence, we must discipline ourselves top to bottom, A to Z. Now, not long ago, I was cleaning out my junk drawer. Does anybody else here have a junk drawer? Is it not amazing how fast you can clean out the junk drawer and it just gets right back to being full again? But anyway, I'm cleaning out my junk drawer and I found a flashlight that I had not used since the day I bought it and put batteries in it. Hadn't used it the first time. But I found this battery and the first thing I did, of course, was flip the switch. When I flipped the switch, no light. And so what I did is I unscrewed the back of the flashlight and I shook it and nothing came out. And so I looked, and sure enough, there were batteries in there. But man, what a mess. What a mess. The battery acid had corroded the entire inside of this brand new flashlight that I found in my junk drawer. Now, when I put the batteries in there, they were brand spanking new. They were brand new. And I stored the flashlight in a safe and cool environment. Everything should have been fine, but there was one problem. The problem was those batteries weren't made to be cool and comfortable. Those batteries were designed to be turned on and used. The same with us. We were created to be cool, safe, and cozy. No, we were made to be turned on. You and I as disciples of Christ are made to put the love of Christ 
to work. You and I are made to apply the patience of Jesus Christ within us in those difficult and trying situations. You and I were made to let the light within us shine. So I read that true self-discipline, true self-discipline is when God's word tells us to do something and we don't talk back. You parents, how frustrated do you get when your kids talk back? Amen? My mama said, you can do anything, but don't you talk back to me, boy. I'll throw my, sh- my shoe at you. Amen? <laughs> my mama had a good arm. <laughs> don't talk back when the word of God speaks. So today, let's see what God's word has to say to us about how we are to become biblically excellent. First of all, when it comes to discipline, when it comes to being molded by discipline in biblical excellence, we've got to discipline our minds. That's where it all begins. In Romans chapter 12, in, in the, verse 2 in the New Living Translation, the Bible says, let God transform you into a new person, here it comes, by changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. Then you'll know what God wants to do and you'll know how, here it comes, excellent, well-pleasing, and perfect God's will really is. So there in Romans chapter 12, the Bible is telling us to do something. The Bible is telling us to do something. And the only way we're going to find out what to do is to confirm Scripture with Scripture. So let's hear what Scripture says to do about disciplining our minds. Isaiah 26 verse 3 tells us that the mind that is fixed on you, O Lord, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. The Apostle Paul, again, teaches in the Corinthians to capture every thought and to keep it captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul wrote to the Colossians saying, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. He wrote to the Roman church saying, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of God. Therefore, to be carnally minded, fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's clear to me that God's trying to get a message across to me and you. He's trying to get a message across to me and you that the way you think has a direct relationship with the life you live. The way you think is closely related to the way you live. When you continually think of Christ, continually then you know what's going to happen? You're going to remain in Christ. When you constantly think of spiritual living, then you're going to live spiritually. When you consistently think faithfully, you're going to begin to live a life of faith. Conversely, conversely, if you continually think of the flesh, 
if you continually think of self, if you continue to think of what just you and you alone wants, then you're going to live in sin and you're going to be repeatedly falling to the desires and to the temptations of the flesh. So we need to discipline our minds. But he doesn't stop there because we're also to discipline our will. In Psalm 101, King David writes about how he disciplined his will. Listen carefully in Psalm 101. In, the, in verse 1 he says, I will. Amen. We need to say that more often. I will. I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will, David says, behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will. I will set nothing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. I, it shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will. I will not know wickedness. David said, I will. He was disciplining his will. You see, our will is what decides and what controls virtually everything we do. It's your will. Here, David is exercising his will. He chose, according to his will, to sing praises to God. David chose to behave wisely. He chose to set nothing before his eyes that was wicked. He chose not to know wickedness. You see, friend, excellence requires that you and I be disciplined enough to choose excellence. How does that happen? you got to discipline your mind. But you also have to discipline your will. Thirdly, you have to also discipline your emotions. I read this. Right thinking, disciplining your mind, and right behavior, disciplining your will, always leads to right feelings. When you're thinking right and you're, and you're behaving right, you're going to feel right. That's the truth. It's true. Our emotions are actually consequences. Our emotions are actually results of how we think and act. So if you're feeling rejected, if you're feeling Hurt, if you're feeling frustrated, I want to encourage you, choose. Choose to think the truth. Choose to exercise your will. Remind yourself daily, remind yourself every minute if you have to, that God loves me. God loves me and he is for me in every way. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. And when we do, our emotions will follow. And then after you do that, ask God, God, will you then guide me to do what you need me to do? Will you do, will you guide me to do what's right? You're thinking right and you're, you're behaving right and now you're feeling right. And we're ready to ask God to do what's needed and what is right. So to become biblically excellent, We've got to discipline our minds. We've got to discipline our will. 
We've got to discipline our emotions, but we also must discipline our bodies. We have to discipline our bodies. We're reminded of 1 Corinthians 6.19 here where the Bible says that our bodies, as believers in Jesus Christ, our bodies are the dwelling place of God. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, my friend, you, we, I must never defile God's home with undisciplined living. God lives here. God lives there. You cannot defile your body with undisciplined living. Back to Romans chapter 12, the Bible says that we are to present our bodies. Present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Present our bodies acceptable. Present your bodies holy to God, which is your reasonable service, which is your reasonable worship. So I submit to you, friend, if you really want to worship God, if you really want to worship him, you need to ask yourself, how am I presenting my body? Am I presenting my body as a sacrifice to God? Holy unto God? Am I presenting my body acceptable to God? That's what happens when you discipline your body. You'll do that. So it's our mind, it's our will, it's our emotion, it's our body, but finally we must also have discipline with our time. Friend, it won't take you but a second to find a seminar online that'll teach you how to manage your time. Managing our time is important even for the Christian, but it's not more information we need no, I say it's discipline that we need. We need to learn to discipline our time, to choose carefully how God wants us to spend our time. You have chose wisely this morning, choosing to come and worship God with brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, what are you going to do come Monday morning? Are you also going to choose to serve him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? That's the desire of God. That's how he desires that you discipline your time. Someone once said, you know what? There's always enough time to do the will of God. You might got a lot on your plate. It may be crazy busy at work. There might be bill collectors knocking at your door. But I want to tell you this. There's always enough time to do the will of God, no matter what. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 5, and he said, Be careful how you walk. Be careful how you walk, not as a fool, but as a wise person, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Making the most of every single opportunity that you have. Redeeming the time. Why? Because if you didn't know it, these days we're living in, They are evil. Redeem the time, friend. Make the most of every opportunity because the days we're living in are evil. I read about the great preacher, Hudson Taylor, who said, you know, a man or a woman may be consecrated. They may be absolutely dedicated. They may be completely devoted. But they are of little value if they are undisciplined. 
If they're undisciplined in mind, in their will, in their emotion, in, in their bodies, if they're undisciplined with their times, they will be very of very little value. So biblical excellence in our life is certainly molded by discipline. But I want to tell you this morning that biblical excellence is also magnified by wisdom. Magnified by wisdom. James gives this beautiful description of a person who's living in wisdom. In James 3.17, he writes, The wisdom that's from above. I don't know about you, but that's the only kind of wisdom I want. Amen. Is the wisdom that's from above. The wisdom that's from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, full of good fruits, unwavering, and this is the big one, without hypocrisy. That means the wise man, the wise woman, doesn't act one way on Sunday morning and act differently on Monday morning. You see, the kind of wisdom that magnifies excellence depends on you. It depends on you obeying the will of God rather than the will of man. You choose. Who are you going to obey this day? Larry Crabb gave a great definition of wisdom. He defines wisdom this way. He says, it's the belief that accepting God's way, no matter how painful it may be, leads to ultimate joy. He said that it believed, that wisdom is the belief that accepting God's way, no matter how painful it may be, leads to ultimate joy. But then he didn't stop. He went on and he said, let me define for you foolishness. Because foolishness is refusing to believe that going our own way, no matter how good it feels, leads to ultimate despair. So you can choose today. Be wise in the eyes of God or be wise in your own eyes. You have the choice to ultimate joy or ultimate despair. It is your choice today. But the bottom line is this. Godly wisdom in our lives magnifies excellence. It magnifies your impact. It magnifies your influence. So you choose. So the likely question is, okay, how? How do I acquire wisdom? I need to know this. How do I acquire wisdom? Well, Proverbs chapter 9 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need to know that. Bill Hemmer says that fearing the Lord means having a deep respect. It means having a deep reverence for God and his word that results in obedience. That's what fearing God is. Having a respect for God and his word that results in obedience. Proverbs chapter 3. The wisest man that the world has ever known, Solomon, tells us a way to acquire wisdom. I want to know this. How do I acquire wisdom? He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding, friend. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. 
But he doesn't stop there. Because he also wrote, he who walks with wise men will be wise. He who walks with wise men will be wise, will be wise but the companion of fools will be destroyed. So we better pay attention to who we walk with. Amen. But he also said, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply them to your life. Apply that knowledge. So not only do we have to pay attention to who we walk with, we better be paying attention to who we listen to. Amen. But the greatest thing is, how can you acquire wisdom? James said it in a nutshell. He said, ask for it. Ask for wisdom. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Ask for it. Ask for it. Hang out with wise people. Listen to wise people and ask God, the author of wisdom, to give it to us. So, if I want to acquire wisdom, I better know what I'm asking for. Amen? Sometimes we ask for things and we don't really know all that we're asking for. So what are the characteristics of wisdom? Well, James chapter 3, he says, Well, who among you is wise? Who among you is wise? Let him show. Let him show by his good behavior that his deeds are done in the meekness of wisdom. So the wisdom is not just head knowledge. No, it's how you apply God's knowledge to your life. It's applying, it's showing that knowledge in your life. So what characteristics do people who are biblically excellent show when they have wisdom? What characteristics are we here, are we looking for here? Well, the Bible says that wise men, wise women exhibit self-control. In Proverbs 29, 11, the Bible says a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. A wise man realizes that his time is limited. You're wondering if I realize that my time is limited, aren't you? Amen. Well, that's not true. I don't realize how my time is limited. But Psalm 90, verse 12, the Bible says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wise men always watch their mouth. Why? Because Proverbs chapter 10 says, When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The wise man realizes he or she doesn't know it all. In Psalm chapter, or Proverbs chapter 12, the Bible says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Finally, the wise man tells other people about Jesus. Proverbs chapter 11, the Bible says, The fruit of righteousness is the tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. All those things, being self-controlled, realizing our time is limited, Realizing we better watch our mouth because words matter. Realizing we don't know it all. Realizing that we are called by God to win souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are all characteristics of wisdom. But finally today, what are the benefits? If I'm going to go through all this trouble, something better be in it for me. Amen? What are the benefits to being wise? 
Well, in Proverbs chapter 3, in verse 13, I want you to listen to all these benefits of you being wise. Here we go. Happy. Verse 13, right off the bat, happy is the man who finds wisdom. I want to be happy. And the man who gains understanding. And then Solomon begins to um, personalize wisdom, to personify wisdom as a person. And so instead of the word her, I'm going to put the word wisdom in there so it will be a little bit more clear. For wisdom's proceeds are better than the profits of silver. And wisdom's gain is better than fine gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. And all the things you may desire cannot compare with wisdom. Length of days is in, window, is in wisdom's right hand. In wisdom's left hand are riches and honor. Are you getting the benefits here? Wisdom's ways are the ways of pleasantness. And all wisdom's path are peace. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who will take hold of it. And happy are all those who retain wisdom. Wisdom, friends, has great, great benefits. You know, when I look back on the, the great men and women of God, I look back and I, I say, man, they sure did live their life with biblical excellence. But what I also say, see is I say, golly, they had so much wisdom. How many people do we know that have so much godly wisdom? We just want to hang out with them because they have so much wisdom. But the wisdom they had is not human wisdom. No, it's a wisdom that knew what God wanted. It's a wisdom that was faithful enough to trust God's wisdom. That's the kind of wisdom that we're looking for. Now, back in 1934, God had called a lady by the name of Betty Stam and her husband, John, to be full-time missionaries in China. Now, in 1934, the brutal communist regime was in place and many of Betty's friends asked her why in the world would you want to go to such a hostile place and I want you to hear what Betty had to say Betty said that her number one goal in life was to be excellent toward God And so, within a month after she and John arrived, Betty and John both were arrested. And shortly thereafter, they were both beheaded. Doing the work of God sometimes comes with a cost. Being biblically excellent sometimes comes with a cost. But it was years later Years later that someone found a letter that Betty had written before she and John went to China. And in that letter, Betty had outlined her goal of being excellent to the Lord. And as I read this, I said, that's it. 
that should be all of our life goal. And here's what it says. Brother Hal, if you would, I want to go ahead and put that up on the screen, brother. Because I want you to see it, but I also want you to hear it. Our goal of biblical excellence should be this. And this is what Betty wrote in that letter. Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes. I give up all my own desires and hopes. And I accept your will for my life. Lord, I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to you to be yours forever. Fill me and seal me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, use me as you will. Send me where you will. Work out your whole will in my life. And this is the part that she could not have foreseen at any cost. Both now and forever. Are you to that place yet? Can I be honest with you this morning? I'm not there yet. But I've learned that excellence is a transformation. And God is slowly but ever so surely transforming me into being like Betty Stam. Friend, I want to tell you that when you arrive here, you'll be demonstrating biblical excellence. The kind that is molded by discipline and magnified by wisdom. Excellence, friend, it's not about being perfect. Why? Because none of us are. It's not about us being perfect. Excellence is about us surrendering to God, being willing to obey God, and then using discipline and wisdom for the glory of God. I can't speak for you. But the man in the mirror this week has been asking God to transform me into this picture of biblical excellence. My prayer for you is that you want to be transformed in a similar fashion. You may say, Bill, I'm so far from that, I don't know what to think. Well, you got to start at the first step. And the first step is simple. The first step to this biblically excellent transformation begins by you coming to Jesus Christ, placing all your faith, all your trust, so that you can surrender to him. So that you can obey him. So that you can begin this transformation, this process of molding your life by discipline. Mind, will, 
emotion, body, and time, but also so that you'll behave in wisdom. Seeing who you really are and craving the wisdom of God on your life. When that happens, transformation begins. Maybe you need to take the first step today. You just need to come to Christ. Realizing there's a cost. That I have to be crucified with Christ. That it will be no longer I who live. But Christ will live in me. If that's your desire. Maybe you're going to the next step of transformation. You're going to start being disciplined in your mind. We hear all these disciplines and we hear about all this transformation and it sounds a bit overwhelming. But we take it in steps. Maybe you need to pray and think about how you can discipline your mind. And then next month, maybe next year, you'll make it to disciplining your will. See, we're in this, this Christian journey And we never really arrive until we get to heaven. So I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. To continue this transforming power in your life. So however the Lord is leading you this morning, maybe it's step one, maybe it's step 121. Whatever it is, you just be obedient to the Lord today. Let me pray for you. Thank you.